says, get that India, big boy. Well, it's hard to believe it, but after 20 rounds of a COVID-adjusted regulation season, uh, we're done and dusted as far as the Parramatta Eels is concerned in regulation football. Uh, 60s, mate. Good to have you here. How you doing? Mate, really well. How are you? Yeah, I mean, we got a, a last start win, which brings us up to 15 wins in the season from 20 starts, 75% win rate. Um, you know, we're doing all right. I mean, it wasn't perfect last night, but... We're going to finish the season um, the highest that we've ever finished under Brad Arthur at third. Um, the highest it's been since, I want to say, our 2005 minor premiership. I'm thinking that you're probably right on that one. Yeah, it's been, it's been a while between um, drinks. Obviously, Brad's done pretty well for us in the past. We've done fourth and fifth under his tenure recently. But yeah, getting in, inching closer and closer towards that minor premiership. So really good stuff. And last night, we saw the Parramatta Reels 28 defeat the West Tigers 24. And it was an interesting game. Uh, I mean, I think on the whole, a positive game, but it wasn't without flaws. So let's dive into it. Like I said, can 20... Just before, just before you get into the stats, can yes. I just, uh, just as uh, by way of my overall comments for quickly for the where we're at right now, is undoubtedly Parramatta set their sights for the in the minor premiership rounds that they were going to finish top four. So mission accomplished to that end mm-hmm. and I think we saw enough last night that the form is heading is trending if we take in last week well that's been the been theme of the last couple of podcasts hasn't it we've been trending towards yeah. the right way yes yeah. so to any of the Parramatta supporters out there who for whatever godforsaken reason cannot come up with feeling happy today that we've that the Parramatta Reels have finished top four and have placed themselves in the best possible position that they could have been in when the uh, when they look back and say, where do you want to finish the minor premiership season? They couldn't be in a better position. If you can't, if you're not smiling today, if you're not <laughs> happy, I don't think you understand rugby league or maybe you should find another sport. So let's... <laughs> I know it's. I know that's an awful thing to say about how people support their team. It's just how I feel today. Maybe because I'm pretty damn happy, and I'm not going to let anyone else bring me down today, mate. So as I was saying, Eels twenty-eight, West Tigers twenty-four. Now Parramatta entered this game in rather unusual circumstances because, um, as all fans knew, there was a bit of volatility as um, to where they could finish in the ladder, entering the round twenty match against the Tigers. And the preceding events were probably the, the biggest outlier events you probably uh, conjure out of, out of all the outcomes you could have had, um, where the Eels could finish third, fourth, or fifth. The, the circumstances between how they could finish third or fifth last night were the most shocking, I suppose. We had the uh, South Sydney Rabbitohs absolutely demolish the Sydney Roosters 60-8, to eight, if I recall correctly. Um, let me just bring up my NRL stats. Nothing to see there, mate. Nothing to see there. <laughs> and so that um that being the the biggest loss between the two franchises in their you know long storied rivalry, um yeah the Roosters getting an unwanted piece of history there heading into the finals, and of course the um the uh, ever present media hoodoo that they like to trot out where no team that has conceded fifty points or more in a regulation season game 
as I'm going on to win the premiership. Where if there was ever a team that was going to do it, it would be the Sydney Roosters. So um, that that is the put a note. But then heading into our game, the game before five thirty, the Canberra Raiders <laughs> reserve grade team, and I, I kid you not, the reserve grade team featuring a couple of starters like Nick Kotrick, Hudson Young, and uh, Isaiah Soliola. Uh, they absolutely blew out the Sharks 38-28. And that final score is not representative of how dominant the Canberra Raiders were throughout most of that game. So Parramatta came into this game knowing that a loss would bump them down the fifth and a win would take them to third, which completely alters their fate in the, the course of the finals. Um, so they got out of the gates nice and sharp and try scorers for the Eels were Blake Ferguson as the FTS, uh, Mike Acevo, Brad Takarini, Reed Money, and Will Smith closed the game out in the 72nd minute. Mitchell Moses was nearly perfect off the boot, four from five, missing only his first attempt out wide from Blake's try. Uh, for the Tigers, Tommy Talao, Luciano Leilua, Tommy Talao again, uh, Asua Kapoa, and Luke Brooks scoring for him, and Adam Dwahi, or Duhi, uh, I know, I believe it is Dwahi, but uh, he, he has the sort of the, given the, the blessing to the media to say Duhi because it's easier. Um, he was not good off the boot. One from five when it came to try conversions, one from one penalty conversion, and that was the difference in the end. Uh, the goal kicking. So well done to Mitchell for getting his uh, boots laced up right this week. Um, moving on to the stats. Uh, Eels with a slight edge in possession, 51 to 49%. Uh, time of possession, similarly slightly favoring the Eels, 25-38 to 24-37. Uh, Eels hitting 82% completion rate, so solid but not amazing, 31 from 38. Tigers are at 78%, 31 from 40. Uh, Eels with slight edges in uh, all runs, run meters, post-contact meters, Tigers leading the line breaks 7-5. Eels leading the tackle breaks 26-17. to 17. Uh, Eels finishing with more dominant average set distance, 42.6 metres to 35.1. West Tigers won the play the ball speed by 0.2 of a second, which is not a shock. That's been consistent with the Eels' sort of modus operandi all season where um, they just cannot like win the ruck in that sense, using inverted commas. Um, Eels dominated the offloads 15-9. Uh, looking at kicks, the diffuser rate for both teams wasn't fantastic. 67% for Parramatta, 55% for the Tigers. That's a bit of an oof. Uh, effective tackle rate, Parramatta over 90% at 90.5 versus the West Tigers, 87.1. Um, we made slightly less tackles, 333 to 343, which is once again in line with that very slight possession edge, I suppose. We missed less tackles, made less ineffective tackles, all very good. Um, negative uh, plays is interesting because we made less errors than the Tigers, 8 to 13. We conceded the same amount of penalties, 5-5, five to five, but we got absolutely blown out in ruck infringements. And we're going to get to this because this has been an ongoing issue. But yeah, West Tigers winning the ruck infringements, the six again calls, 6-1. to one. Um, And interestingly, uh, Paramount only made six interchanges. So that we can talk about that later in the, the game breakdown too because uh, adjusted bench sort of makes sense as to why they might have made less interchanges. But it probably also contributed to why the Tigers got so close. But anyway, um, yeah. that's, that's all the big numbers from the macro sense. What caught your eye on a micro sense? Well, first of all, those late changes. Mm -hmm. Good place to start. So yeah. it was announced it, on announced on Friday, uh, the first batch of changes that uh, Reagan Campbell Gillard and Jay Field were dropping out of the game day uh, list, and Brad Takarangi and Daniel Alvaro were coming into the team. And then prior to kickoff. Uh, we got, do we get another change? Am I making this up? Yes. Yes, we did. Yes. We got um, one last change with George Jennings jumping onto the bench. For his brother. For his brother, who was then reported. So in the the big scheme of things, even though it was looked like it looked like Brad Takarang was going to play 5-8 initially, um, instead he bumps into the centres with George Jennings going as the outside back emergency cover on the bench. 
you had Will Smith promoted from uh, utility interchange buyer to starting 5'8". And then, <clears throat> sorry, Daniel Alvaro is sitting on the bench uh, with uh, Kane Evans replacing the rested Reagan Campbell-Gillard. Yes, and it wasn't really unexpected. I was, I was perhaps even thinking that Hayes Dunster was going to get a run. That was my that was my outside change. hope. Yes, and I, I suppose the other change too was that Sean Lane was named in the starting back row, but once again uh, dropped back to the bench to use that uh, become more of a middle utility forward rather than the edge weapon. So yes, uh, that yes. seems to so, be a consistent theme across the last two weeks. But yeah, so interesting it, changes. Um, it wasn't it wasn't really a surprise to me, mate. I, I, although I was unable to make Monday training last week, I did catch their Wednesday training and I came away from it thinking of this out of that squad of 21, I've actually got no idea who's, yeah, who's going to be playing because, where and when. Yeah. Yeah. Because there was, everyone was, everyone was getting a run. Mm-hmm. And if, can I, can I just say, I think, Ray Stone and uh, and Murata, uh, uh, I would be very very surprised based on what I was watching if they if they're not either named or available to play in this first week of the finals, as per the predictions for when they would return. But yeah, watching that training session, I was thinking there's a good chance there's going to be some late late changes. But just as equally, I was thinking I'm I'm not really certain of that he VA was spending quite a bit of time at different moments talking to Tacker so I was fairly convinced that Tacker was going to play even though he was named out on that reserves list and uh, unfortunately for me I couldn't confirm it because the captain's run was behind closed doors Mm. yeah to, to behind closed doors it was literally overnight on uh on Thursday night that they were given permission to have the captains run at Bank West. So it was it was uh, something I, I normally, for my own uh, information, I obviously I don't put it out there for anyone, but for my own information, I like to see the captains run and who's, who's likely to get a run, that sort of thing. So uh, I wasn't able to see that, but just from the Wednesday session, I was fairly convinced that we were going to get some late changes. So there's a risk factor involved in that, mate. Absolutely. Even so, though they might they might have prepared and they and the players themselves are ready, it's a big call to drop that many players out of the team. We're about to see this afternoon how that impacts the Melbourne Storm against St George. It didn't affect the Raiders against the Sharks. Yeah. So we saw. Let's be honest. The Sharks were awful. The <laughs> they were dreadful. <laughs> they were so at, bad. I was at the Parramatta. I was at Bank West last night, but I was in the outdoor area of that they have at Parramatta Leagues Club, enjoying a, a refreshment before the game. And I was able to watch the Raiders and Sharks game, and I was just, I was shaking my head. I was thinking, <laughs> the Sharks are beyond abysmal. Because as you alluded to before, that was close to a genuine Reggie's team for the Raiders. And credit to them, they didn't miss a beat. But shame on the Sharks because that was... It, it almost looked like there was no effort that was put in. Uh, I was looking at the NRL table this morning and 
you know, just sizing up where everyone had finished. And obviously Parramatta sitting in their third, very nice, playing the Storm next week, which we're going to get to later in the podcast. And I was looking at the other top eight contenders, well, not contenders, but they're now into the finals. The, the top eight being locked in well before this week was um, started. <clears throat> Only the um, handful of games were actually going to impact the um, final standings and ours was being one of them. But I was looking at the top eight and you talk about the Cronulla Sharks and they caught my eye because they had a, a singular unique finish the season by getting pumped by the uh, the reserve grade team from Canberra. From 20 starts, they had 10 wins and 10 losses. So, you know, nicely balanced there. They had 480 points of points scored. Do you want to get, um, dare guess how many points they had scored against them? Um, probably about the same. 480. So they've got a net differential of zero. <laughs> At home, they won five and lost five. On the road, they won five and lost five. So it's like a perfectly balanced season. So it just it really stands out in the table because you're seeing all these zeros where you're used to seeing like a positive or a minus or something like that. <laughs> but yeah, they were they and, were they were very very diabolical and it, it, sort of and that. How was their how was their stats for beating top eight teams? I think they're I don't know how many starts they've got now, but they're o they're o and something. Um, they have not won against the top eight team, so. They've got a, a lot of work to do between now and next week, as we saw, like we did in 2009. It's like the reverse, where we, um, well, it's not really the reverse because the Canberra Raiders won the game. But the Raiders, like, you know, in 2009, we tanked against the Dragons in round, in round 26 by naming a, you know, a suboptimal team and then looking to ambush them next week. Instead, the Raiders named a suboptimal team and they whooped the Sharks' ass and they're going to play them next week with a full-strength team. So, God, that sets up a weird game. It, it does. But just, just back to our changes... It was interesting when they, when all these changes were happening, and it was we got the last minute one with George Jennings coming in onto the bench, yeah. Michael. So Michael, yeah, yeah, but being put onto the bench, and I was thinking to myself, okay, our task is harder. And then I was thinking, we have to win this game. This is not ideal. But then the starting lineup ran out there, and I was thinking, it's. It's not really such a bad balance. We've got Tacker in the centres. We've got Will Smith at five eight, and both blokes are experienced enough that they were going to know their role that they had to fulfil. Will Smith had done fairly well playing at dummy half in mm-hmm. the previous weeks, so it it wasn't all bad. And to be honest, as we saw with their attack, it clicked. So yes, there were risk factors, but I think in the scheme of things, it was the right call to give a pression up to some players that were maybe carrying some niggles, the players that were left out. And you know, I think it, it was... It turns out the biggest issue, to no surprise, was a lack of match fitness for match, uh, match fitness for match for Brad Tekarangi, where yeah, you know, he's been it, out for a couple of months and he just didn't quite... The defensive reads weren't quite there initially and he got sort of uh, burned on the inside a couple of times early on. And then towards the back end of the game, he got fatigued, but he didn't shirk his workload. He got through plenty of work on the ground. And he actually ended I think up. we got, yeah, I think we got from, yeah, what I was going to say is that I think that it was, it gave us a look as to whether Tackers is a genuine centre option still if we need to call on him at any stage during the final series. And I think there was enough to say that he was there. There was only one moment where I was un, really unhappy with Tackers, and that was where he got a bit lazy and didn't keep his run going in the try, the disallowed try to Andrew Davey. He sort of loitered after he Rob, went through. Rob the big a, man of the maiden try. Yeah. yeah. Owes him a case off that kept, for sure. Kept going through the line 
rather than standing there, then you're looking at a at a certain try anyway. They weren't going to stop him. No, no, no way. Harry Grant wasn't going to get there in time to stop him from getting that no, ball down. No, no. So uh, let's now then talk about the attack last night. It's been a much vilified attack for the Parramatta Reels Yeah, it's had its struggles times. for sure. And, I mean, we've leveled legit criticism at it. We've seen some vitriolic criticism uh, gone its way too. But as we've spoken about in the last couple of podcasts, it's been trending upwards. And I think that for three quarters of the game last night, and I think that's going to be the theme for a lot of our discussion, is that for three quarters of the game, the Eels were actually quite good. Unfortunately, the start of the second half sort of undermined a bit of that. But they were crisp. They were fast. They attacked downhill. And it's everything we've been talking about, sort of getting teams on the back foot through speed and aggressiveness and you know getting bodies in motion. You know, Barring Tacker sort of uh, watching the Davies try. They were, they were attacking downhill, getting through the line, and, and causing misreads. And it's not a surprise that we ended up scoring five tries because the Eels were, you know, looking like themselves. Yeah, it went, it's interesting you say looking like themselves because I thought the what we saw last night was extremely reminiscent of the first half of the season. Mm-hmm. And if we're going to come into the finals and we're going to look more like we did in the first half of the season, then I'll definitely take that. Yeah, and you got to remember too, this is Mitchell Moses. He wasn't playing a sole hand in the halves. I think Wilson actually had quite a good game considering everything. And he, he scored the match-winning try and a fantastic little solo effort that played on the, the fatigue of the defense. But uh, Mitch was there sort of marshalling his troops, was once again taking on the line a lot more, which I like to see. Um, and he was also playing to his back rower, Ryan Madison, a lot more too, which I, I enjoy seeing because it sort of uh, keeps the interior of the edge defense honest and allows your outside backs later on to open up the game a bit more. So that was very encouraging Mitch to Moses, see. Mitch Moses provided a threat, I thought, all night. His carries into the defence, he, he just kept threatening that he was going to come out the other side. Mm-hmm. And we know that Mitch Moses, if he comes out the other side of the defensive line, he's a handful for the fullback because of the fact that he's one of the fastest halves in the competition. So he's he's more likely than not to be able to stand the fullback up, or if not, very good at linking with his support. So it was, we're very much trending upwards when it comes to the form that Mitch Moses is looking at coming into the finals. And I thought he's, he gave the outside backs a little bit more room because as you said, he was linking up with his back rowers a lot earlier rather than running across field so yeah, much. Yeah, and when you dig into the line like that, the, the defence yep. has to respect the threat. I mean, you look at someone like Ryan Madison who played quite strongly and, you know, he ended up going for 118 metres or 13 carries, which isn't spectacular, but it's good, honest work and it means that the defence are well aware of that he's coming in and going to test them if they don't, um, you know, man up two on either shoulder uh, or one on either shoulder rather, so two defenders. Now, um, looking across the numbers yes. here, can I just, just before you go into yeah, the numbers, of course. and I'm not sure, and, and my apologies if I'm about to... No, if you, if you want to preempt me, do it for sure. <laughs> I thought we went to that that kicking well, just a tad... Yeah, it, it was obviously a, a focus or a point of emphasis from the coaching staff, um, you know, to sort of rectify that short kicking game and the ability to put pressure on the ground when the ball's on the ground in the red zone. And it worked out quite, you know, quite strongly for the most part. You know, Gufferson and Moses kicked fairly strongly for throughout the first sort of uh, half of play, 
And then when we um, there, there was one moment where I think Galveston probably butchered a try to Mike Acevo by kicking instead of passing. But in the second half was probably more of a point of frustration where we finally got some possession and we ended up kicking a little bit too early in the sets. But uh, for the most part, I thought they executed pretty strongly in that regard and they um, forced a number of line dropouts or difficult set uh, starts for the Tigers. Yeah, again, it's we're going to come back to the same phrase. But with the criticism that was around Parramatta's kicking game, you'd probably say trending upwards again. Yeah, exactly. From the performance last and night. Barring, so, barring one errant uh, kick that sort of allowed uh, Kapoa to put his foot in the sideline, I thought Moses kicked quite strongly in the long game as well. Yeah, so back to your... I was just going to say, there was some interesting individual stats here. We saw Guffo have a, a very quiet night in terms of meterage. Only seven runs for 77 metres. Um, and then, you know, you saw across the park, on the on the flip side, you had Nathan Brown have one of the quietest 229-metre games I've seen from him. 23 carries, 229 metres, so like almost 10 runs a, a click. So fantastic efficiency, fantastic overall production. And I'm, I'm just thinking back to it, I'm like, yeah, I remember him making runs, but, geez, he got through so much more work than I thought. I I haven't seen the breakup of that. There had to have been well. My I thought in the first half that he had to be well over a hundred meters in that first half. Mm-hmm. He was. I thought he was challenging Junior Paulo for best on field in that in that first half, and obviously was a little bit quieter because of the, the lack of possession in the early part of the second half. Yeah. But those stats really do speak to the importance of Nathan Brown in Parramatta's performance last yeah, night. Yeah, he just so. he gets through so much work, and it's all—it's almost always quality, isn't it? I mean, even yeah. even defensively, he was sitting at just under 94% tackling efficiency, 46 tackles, one missed, two ineffective. Like, what a what a workhorse. And he, his health has been so important to the success of his team, hasn't it? And it's been so frustrating um, across the last couple of years when he's been getting banged up because he makes such a difference when he's on the field. But um, you, you, you spoke about Junior Paulo, who's going to probably get a feature in our three two ones later on because he was sensational. Um, yeah. The man has the most devastating offload in the NRL, I think. It, it's just yeah. so often quality. And obviously, he set up a try for Reed Money. But, um, you know, I think what he ended up with offloads must have been five or six comfortably, right? He must have gone yeah. close to out offloading the Tigers. Where are we at? Four offloads only, which I feel was on the, um, the skinnier side. So maybe there was some deemed to be a pass. I don't know. I'm sure that there were some that were deemed to be a pass because it seemed like every carry involved an offload. Yeah, and if it, was, if it wasn't if it wasn't an offload, it's that disgusting right foot step where he he yeah. steps like Michael Jennings, you know, a man that's you know thirty kilos lighter than him. It's ridiculous. So yeah. June's in sensational touch heading into the finals, and that's going to be a big, I don't want to say X factor, but just like a big factor in general for us. We need him, you know, on all cylinders, just tearing it into the opposition through the middle. Um, now, the, probably another player we probably should uh, go back to is Mike Acevo, who's been under the uh, spotlight for a number of weeks now. 13 runs, 134 metres, one try. Uh, what did you think of the big man? It was, let's let's call him the Cronulla of Parramatta last night because I could find things that I was happy with that were okay and then a couple of a couple of areas where I'd still like him to be a bit better. No, that's probably a bit harsh to call him the Cronulla Parramatta last night. I I think he's still trending upward. I don't like him giving space to his to his opposite. He was left because, in a, he was left in an unfortunate scenario in one of the tries in the second half where 
we were desperately short. And he actually made it. I fair, I fought a fair read where he jammed the centre and still got out to make a play on the winger, but he was never going to get there by nature of the overlap. But yeah, it, it's interesting because he actually leads all outside backs in our team last night in meterage. Uh, Fergo yeah. only got 120 metres, uh, Wanga 86, and then obviously you don't really count your halves there, but we found Quint Gulf's going have a quiet night at 77 metres. It wasn't, wasn't really a you know fan, fantastic uh, night at the office for the outside backs, and obviously the other one's Brad Tackering 98. Had to look for him on the bench because they didn't actually update the team correctly, which had me, um, had me a little bit lost there. I was like, there's only four backs there. Where's the fifth? But yeah, um, I don't know. I, I feel like he, he got more involved. His runs were more physical for the most part, and... I don't think he was putting in. Uh, I don't think he was putting situations to succeed defensively. I feel like um, without yeah. Jenko there, the reads weren't as crisp in the um, the two of them, and he, he did yeah. what he, he did what he could. And you could argue. Oh, look, I, I was just going to say, I, I'm probably just being a little bit hypercritical of him because his carries from the backfield have improved. They've definitely improved. Is I think from memory he had quite good post contact meters last night. Yeah, fifty nine of his one hundred and thirty four post yeah, contact. Yeah, so that's yeah. a good good conversion yeah. rate there. So, so I'll I'll go to my revised where I said I think he's he's part of that continuing to trend upward. I still believe even even allowing for him being put into not the best defensive position that he allows his opposite number too much space that's fair that's fair Micah's Micah he hasn't a, got the recovery speed to, yeah yeah he hasn't he's got a, the he's closing speed mm-hmm. if he's got if he's starting if he's going from a almost a a uh, motionless position where or or he's having to change direction it's a tough ask for him to turn around or to suddenly move the other in the other direction and cover a winger who's got a bit of space on him. It's far too frequent for me this year where you see Micah is making a last-minute effort to push or or get there in defence as mm-hmm. his opposite is going over in the corner. I think you could almost still frame a moment in every game where it feels like it happens. And I don't know what the answer is, whether there's obviously times where his reads have been wrong and you can you can see that those moments where he's charging in and all of a sudden he's try, he's got that big arc going trying to turn around and and get back but mm-hmm. even even outside of those moments where the read is wrong i just feel like there's far too many moments where he shows the sideline to his opposite so i think he remains a defensive work in progress so but where from an attack point of view, there's more KPIs as a winger that I'm prepared to tick for him now compared to about four or five weeks ago. And again, I'll come back to the fact that I'm a big fan of Mike Sivo and I'm probably being a bit hypercritical because <laughs> I thought I was expecting a bit more. Yeah, I was expecting a bit more this year from Mike. In season Micah two, yeah. In season two, and the sophomore and slump was real. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it genuinely was. So they spend a lot of time working with Micah, the coaches. So uh, there's still a big upside that's there with him when you think he's he's still got limited NRL uh, appearances. So 
a couple Let's of them. Let's hope, like the others, like like the others, if he's trending upwards, that's a good sign for the finals. Exactly. Now, quickly, a couple of areas that caught my eye last night. Andy Davey continues to impress him as he um, sort of locks in a starting role in what will unfortunately be his last season with the Eels. As uh, I think it's not officially confirmed yet, but another media source reporting him to the Manly Seagulls. So he was yeah. uh, he was quite good once again. Um, didn't quite crack the 100-meter mark, but made plenty of impact in that first half. As we talked about, should have had a try to his name if it wasn't for Tacker getting caught in the line. And um, also set up a try for Mike Acevo. So he was very good. Um, any words on him, Matt? Obviously, disappointment about him moving on to the Sea Eagles. I, we've, we've spoken about this before. No issue with Andy because he's a bloke that's been on the, uh, if you can call it this, the breadline, existing on the breadline financially when it comes to NRL contracts and especially in this COVID year where he, had, he said, just before his debut, he was ready to pack up and go home because it was just a hard slog to live on the money that he was on, mm-hmm. living in Sydney when he's a, he's a tradie and could earn far better money going back to his work and moving back to Queensland. But full credit to him, he's no doubt he's got a upgraded offer from Manly compared to what Parramatta were going to offer him. You'd have to assume that's either either in duration of the contract and or I'd say it's a probably both coin. duration and yeah. coin. Which you know, well yes. done to him for getting that bag, well as done. the young kids would say. And it, as I said, I'm mainly disappointed because I think he's followed the path that a lot of players have when they've come to Parramatta, where Brad or, or young ones coming through, where Brad's been patient with uh, Murata, for example. Mm-hmm. Murata went through the exact same uh, rite of passage to the NRL, where he was C- uh, Player of the Year in the uh, for for the Reggies, and earned his starting spot partway through the next season. And game time built up and looks every part the first grade player. And Andy's gone and done the same exact same pathway. And the moment that we're about to perhaps reap his best or better football, he gets gets yoinked by a rival club. So, yeah, I mean that's so, that's football, isn't it? Unfor- like for better or worse, it, it but, is. Um, we know what we. The overall comment on Andrew Davy is we know what we're going to get from him, and yet we don't because I think every week. He's been improving. We and, see a little bit and more. And phys- physically, he's you know right there to be. He's you know one ninety four thereabouts. You know well built. So he's absolutely that prototypical back rower. So I think he's still figuring out how good he can be himself. I I think so too. Uh, but yeah, I moves, think so too. Yeah, I, I, do you know what? I wouldn't be entirely surprised if his name hasn't come up in Queensland Origin discussions. That's how good I think he's going. Well, I'm trying to think what they got in the back row stock because obviously Dave Fafita blew out his ankle against us last week. So they might be, um, yeah, I mean, Gavin Cooper's probably passed it as well. So they're probably yeah. going to be reaching deep into the barrel this year. So well, yeah, jot, jot, that, jot, jot that name down. I think they're doing, is it 24-man squads? I'm not I sure. it might have been about 27 or something Maybe, like that. Maybe, yeah, because um, it's bang, 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 three weeks. So they probably do need the extended rosters in order to compensate for any injuries or niggles. 
But yeah, so am, jot, I, am I the first that's made that call? Mate? I, 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 I can't, think, I can't think of anyone call. else that said it. So jot that one down. 60's calling Andrew Davey for Origin this year. But um, mate, I'm going to say it now because if this this pot will go up a little bit later today. I'm going to throw that out there on a tweet. So <laughs> get ahead. Is he, he's even going to beat there. the man is even going to try and beat his own podcast to get it. I could be the first <laughs> to get this out there. Unreal. Um, but speaking speaking of being unreal, Reed Money, another great game from the young hooker, scored a try, uh, ratcheted through, and I think was it 40, 40 something tackles. I'm trying to find the numbers here. The, the 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 team sheet. If you understand my confusion, the team sheet is like. One, it's been bumped up one because Michael Jennings out of lineup, so everything's one out of sync and it's throwing me for a doozy. Forty nine tackles, one ineffective from Reed Money, ninety eight percent tackling efficiency rate. Had a clutch turnover late in the game where he sort of scooped up a a loose offload from one of the Tigers through the middle and ended up leading to us maybe he's getting the Will Smith try. Um, he was very yep. good. Uh, a couple good long kicks, uh, backing up in support. He's running the ball more. That's what we, we saw in the Warriors game. And, he, you know, it's not incredible numbers, but six runs for 42 metres, it's enough to threaten, or 43 metres, sorry. It's enough to threaten. It's enough to, we talked about Mitchell Moses keeping the interior of the edge defence honest with, you know, using Ryan Madison um, a number of times early on. It's the same here. Uh, every time he runs effectively, it means that the markers and the the sort of AB defenders around the ruck have to respect the threat of him getting out of dummy half. So cool stuff yep. from the young man. Um, and, you know, given that he's battling through an AC joint injury, his service has been really good, and he's a huge figure for our finals charge. And um, any, any quick comments to him before I move on to the last player that surprisingly caught my eye? I think I'm going to, at the risk of sounding like a broken record, trending in the right <laughs> direction. And that's and what mean, else can you say? The, because we... That has we been the motif, hasn't it? definitely went through a slump. Yeah. And the, que- the big question is, is whether we've trended enough upwards that we can ignite next week because, you know, we, we talked about it elsewhere, but, you know, you sort of close the books on this season and it's a whole new ball game in the finals. So we've put ourselves now in a position to make that, you know, launch that bid against a, a big team, but it's just a matter of whether we've done done enough, I suppose. But, um, yeah, Reed, yep. Reed was very good. And the last player um, promoted into the starting role once again because Reagan Campbell-Gillard was uh, rested. I was going to say dropped. He was not dropped. He was rested. <laughs> um, yep. And we didn't really talk about it last week, but Kane Evans, he's he had yep. a very bad game against the Penrith Panthers, and that sort of capped off a really bad run where post-contract sort of saga being uh, wound up with the Warriors. He sort of had his mind elsewhere. But last two weeks, uh, well over 100 metres in both games, 15 runs for 149 tonight, or last night rather, and uh, 25, uh, 25, 23 tackles, one, one ineffective. So he was very good. And that's that is huge for us because uh, we've got Oregon as a as a nice little point of difference prop off the bench, but Junior and Reg are by far and away our best two props. And then the drop off is even if we've got good players after him, significant when Kane isn't in good form. And when Kane has got his head down like that, it makes a massive difference to the impact of our bench. Yep, yep. Agreed. So, agreed. so um, I can't really say it again. I'll let you say something. Something what about. I've been- Trending downward? No, not downwards, upwards. <laughs> yeah. So the stock stocks well, are, are increasing on in on the micro and macro level for the eels across the park. Um, obviously, now the big misnomer we should probably get to this quickly when we're talking about it defensively was that start to the second half, where I think we had seventeen yeah. percent of the ball uh, throughout the first twenty minutes or so, and the the Tigers sort of just blew open the doors and and took control of the game. Although I don't think we ever really panicked because we felt like the game was there for us to to win and obviously went on to do exactly that. But yeah, we sort of got started the possession. 
Uh, Fergo had a bad drop on a, a real testing torpedo bomb from Dwahi that um, was ended up being a scoop and score for the Tigers. They went long range after that, where um, Wanga Blake didn't have a great read on, on Lawrence. And he actually got there in time, and, and Fergo needed to trust him to make the cover tackle because then Fergo didn't bounce off to Kaboa, which allowed him to go downfield and link up with uh, Luke Brooks inside. So there's a, yeah, a number of issues down our right edge, especially there, which has been uh, you know uh, overarching story of 2020. And they've had times where they've actually figured it out and it's been fantastic, but for the most part, they've, they've had issues. But, yeah, the, the, those 20 minutes should not be ignored because if you give that to Melbourne or any of those top teams in the in the finals, they're going to spank you. But it's interesting. How do you balance that out across the other 60 good minutes? Like, what what is your split when it comes to takeaways for the team heading into the finals because of that? Because of that sorry. I'm just going to say that when we're talking about the roller coaster of Parramatta season, where you had such good form early in the season, and you we went through what can only be described as a slump, and at the moment, and we again come back to that term of trending in the right direction. But what you want to see coming into the finals is that the team is looking like things are starting to come together again. Mm-hmm. And I think last night, the main take that I took from it was that even allowing for the right side defensive issues, we looked fresh in comparison to how we looked yeah, about that, there was three or four certainly weeks ago. a reinvigorated uh, undertone to our effort for sure. And I think and if, if it wasn't, that start to the second half was a sort of result, like start, the start to the second half was a sort of result that would have knocked us on our asses and we would have got blown out if we didn't have that reinvigorated feeling to the team. What I saw when they trained, when I watched them train on Wednesday, was they trained them lighter, faster. It was looked like a team that was going to come into the game reasonably sharp and I thought that for the most part they played that way and if we're talking about the parts of the game that weren't so good in the game we come back to that right side that was also a period of time where there was virtually zero possession and obviously the a reason for being all close to zero possession was that we weren't shutting the Tigers down as we should, but there was also some key moments where the Tigers were that kick to Ferguson. Geez, that was, look, it was a tough one, as you've said oh, to me before. Uh, Wayne, I, He's paid the big dollars. I, to, I, to I, I put that. the boot into Fergo last night, if you pardon the pun there, because... You know, yes, it was an absolutely you know scorching tester of a kick, but that's why he's one of the top paid wingers in the comp, right? Is to to bring those ones in. He'd be he'd be filthy on himself. I got no doubt he'd be upset that he dropped that as hard as that take would be, and even worse that he couldn't scoop it up and um stop the uh the pick up and score there. So yeah, I mean, there's absolutely areas of improvement to come out of that game, especially from that twenty minute segment. But yeah. um, you know, I think at the end, Guffer makes a huge try, um, try saver on Luke Garner, which made up for an earlier miss he had at the back, where they had a line break early on, which led to the first try, uh, where uh, they scored in the corner of Tommy Talao, I think it was. He sort of 
got beaten by maybe it was Ghana. He sort of bounced off and um and then the the storm, the Tigers, uh spread it to the right and, and Sivo makes a good tackle on Nofaluma, but the offload gets away to Talao. So I think Guffer redeemed himself there hundred percent with an awesome tackle on on Ghana. And yeah, I think it sets us up for a fascinating clash for the storm. So do you want to sort of um put the wrap up on the the review there and we'll go to our three two ones? Yeah. Three two ones. I'm going for Junior for my three. Mm-hmm. I think he was head and shoulders the best player on the field. I cannot argue. Un- unbelievable, just unbelievable. We've we've already talked about him, but he's a standout. Shades, shades of Artie Beats in there, right? Yeah, the two goes to Nathan Brown because I thought he had an outstanding first half, and then again his carries in the back end of the game were, were quite good. And I'm going to give, it was a, a real toss-up uh, for the third one. I'm going to give it to Mitch Moses for my one because I thought that he did a really good job of staying composed at times where we needed that composure. And I thought he's he was digging into that line enough when he, when he with his carries I thought he, I thought he had quite a good uh, performance last night. Uh, I I agree on you. I agree with you on the three and two, uh, without a doubt. Uh, but I'm going to differ with you on the one because as good as Mitch was and he, he was worthy of a one, I'm going to give it the read because obviously we talked about why I thought it was, he was impressive earlier on the try, the defense, and the running. But also just during that little comeback we had, the the primal emotion that he channeled on a couple of plays, both when he scored and I think when we might have fought it, uh, forced the line dropout. Um, it sort of, I don't know, like it sort of resonated with me. It was like, it, it was sort of that, in capturing that whole moment, that emotion that we're not, this is a different para team to previous years. We're not going to, you know, completely capitulate to the West Tigers and, and slip from the top four, which was sort of like, so you go circa 2014 where we had that three chances at the cherry to lock up a top eight spot and we just couldn't quite get it done against Newcastle, against... Canberra, and I couldn't remember. I can't remember the other one. And this was like the. Yeah, the it was com- definitely Newcastle and Canberra the last two games. Yeah, and it was yeah. a, it was a complete antithesis this time. You know, Reed just really captured that energy that said, "No, we're going to you know take control of our own destiny this week." So that's why yeah. it's at one point. And a shout out to to Will Smith because yeah, I think three weeks in a row he now he's has, done the job. Yeah, he's. I think he's done a, a terrific job, and people may say shouldn't we be giving a younger bloke a shot? Well, you can't do much more than doing exactly what Will Smith has done when he's been called upon. So he has to he has to deserve some plaudits there. And I also say good marks to Brad Arthur for deciding that he would bring Will Smith into that dummy half bench position when he was needed. And, and then for deciding that he would use him in the halves last night because it was I I can't fault too many aspects of Will Smith's game at all last night. No, he's he's been really good. And I know that there's an element of rocks and diamonds to Smithy's game because he's a confidence player. But you know, he he credit to himself and to the team. They've done a very good job of getting him in the right place mentally in a you know, a tough sell coming in ice cold with no um no reserve grade. So he's done really well playing dummy half, which is a very testing position defensively and, you know, with the service to the first receivers. 
And then this week where he bumps out Jay Field, a guy that's, you know, drawn a lot of plaudits this year from uh, a number of sources for, you know, scoring tries and looking dangerous. And he's coming in, done the job and got the game winning try. So well done. Yep. Yep. Now that's, that's the wrap on the team performances out of um, Saturday night where the Eels winning uh, 128-24. We're not done yet though, because uh, it, read its, it read its head again. It's ugly, ugly head. Um, the six again rule, mate. Where are we at with it? It's putrid. It's so bad. It's so bad. Uh, it is. I can't. I can't even. I, I mean, I I should be taking the the devil's advocate role here, where you know to at least give you something to play off and say, you know, well, yes, you know, maybe it's bad in some situations, but you know, look at it from here, and it sort of opens up the game and promotes more attacking football. And it's no, it's just bad. It's terrible. There is no consistency. It's awful, and it leads to these weird blowouts. Like, not even just on the scoreboard, but just through runs of play. It's not interesting. I've been a critic since it was first mooted. I just don't... I don't like a rule where a referee is able to call such a significant um, change... uh, Sorry, extension of possession... And almost doesn't have to justify it. I know that they call on the run what it was for, but I've used this analogy time and again. It is like the old scrum penalty because you can literally find fault at any stage of an NRL game with either team. And one of the things that's developed over the years was the referees putting the whistle away. And they it's something that they've earned plaudits for in origin football where there's they've had extremely low penalty counts where the referees put the whistle away and let let the football decide. Now, they don't have to blow the whistle with this. They just have to yell out six again. And they don't apart from saying uh, hands on the ball, uh, split markers, whatever the case may be, are holding down. They can they can say that in virtually every single tackle because mm-hmm. if you have a look at any point during the game, you can see that the markers aren't lined up properly. You will see the defensive line run early. You will see teams holding down in the tackle. You will see hands on the football. They could call six again at any moment in the game just like in the old scrum penalty where you could call a scrum penalty for about 20 different offences and it was up to the referee when they would actually call it because you could call it for every scrum that packed. It was something that went on and the referees would just blow a whistle for some things and not for others. So when people were talking about, should we have contested scrums again? I'll say, you didn't live through contested scrums because that yeah. that era was, was complete bullshit. And as much as there was an art in the in the hooker and his work in the scrum, half of what they were doing was illegalities that were <laughs> allowed to yep. get away with. Yep. So we now have this rule where the referee can just call out six again. And in any game, that's just it's it's just up to the discretion of the referee. And I mean, you can biggest, say the same for any penalty. But that's right. But just, my, my biggest it, issue here is the the blatant inconsistency because that's it, that's it. and it, it, it's to me it's the natural thing that's going to come from a rule like that and 
the, those inconsistencies, then they're, they're not just where one team is getting called for six again, the other team isn't. It also comes down to what tackle do they do it on? Well, Parramatta's sole, sole six again occurred on what tackle? Take a guess. I think it was the second tackle. It was first or second, yeah. So once again, and yeah. like and, on, and on our 10-meter 10 10, line. 15 yeah. minutes out, yeah. yeah. It was yeah. Like, sorry, my microphone got right there. Uh, classic uh, six again Parramatta sort of deal. And what, what really makes me so confused is that if the West Tigers, are, they won the six again count six to one. And if they'd gotten three, four, five, even six of those six against during that dominant run during the second half, I would understand. But at half time, if I recall correctly, the six again count was four zero. So they that was where Parramatta was quite comfortably winning the ruck. So they were controlling the ruck and got zero six again calls and conceded four. And maybe quite likely that each of those four that we conceded were, you know, fair calls. But I just don't for the life of me I cannot understand how we did not draw the calls back in return. And that just blows my mind. So Well I I keep coming back to the average play the ball speed. And I believe Parramatta's only one only achieved a quicker play of the ball speed once during the season. Would that be the case? Maybe twice. So one of the things that Parramatta's worked on is to not concede six agains or uh, during during the season by holding the team down. They've allowed the opposition to have faster play of the ball than them all through the season. Now I'm not saying that they I'm not saying they've deliberately allowed the, the pass to play the ball to the opposition. What I'm saying is they've worked on not conceding six agains and you have that that's a there's an art in that because you you can't allow a rapid play the ball and be on the on the back foot defensively. But clearly the opposition is holding Parramatta down longer during games. You don't get a trend like that for the entire season with the opposition getting fast to play the balls no. and then and then have the six again calls. And I know there's, again, I know there's other things you can be called for, as I said, the split markers, the hands on the football, whatever. But they're being penalised for holding the opposition down. And clearly the opposition is slowing the Parramatta play the ball down more than Parramatta's slowing any of the play the ball down. So the refs are, are making decisions which, to me, and, and Parramatta is not going to be the only team that's suffering from this. I'm against the rule. I'm not salty against the rule about Parramatta. No, I was against. I, I watched. I've watched more neutral football than I across the course of the 2020 season than I have for a number of years now. Where you know, getting through the vast majority of each round, and just every game, it's like, like, why is this rule here? This this isn't a par- yeah. you know limited the scope of the Parramatta Eels for our blue and gold goggles. It's as a neutral watching other games. It's like, well, hang on, how come like that play was a six again, and then the next set that where the the team that got the six again the last time obviously does the same thing in return defensively and they don't get called for it. It's like, uh, excuse me? Like, come on. Well, we're going to be unhappy campers, mate, because the with that trial of extending the six I know. again to if the offside. That, those that missed it in the dead rubber games, they um added in some more caveats to the uh, six again rules, which is just, ugh. Oh, mate. I'm in, look, I'm in a good mood today. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't understand. I don't understand why we we're we're not the only the only game that does this because like lots of codes like to do little judge, uh, adjustments. But why are we tinkering something that works? I do not oh. understand for the life of me. Oh. I mean, we're literally we 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 literally have just trialed 
four changes to the fabric of the game or how the game is officiated. Including a stupid gimmick change in the 2040 that no one's ever attempted. Like, uh, good Lord. And and if we're signalling that there's more change to come next year, I'm I'm just, I'm stunned. I'm stunned. I, I hate to see where this game is heading. I, I was I was angry enough about the Junior Paulo facing that charge for the tackle the previous week that was nothing like a hip drop tackle. And even even the the crusher tackle and I know we need to eliminate those deliberate crusher tackles, but there is so often where you see the the ball carrier backing into the defence and again Parramatta's received penalties from crusher tackles, but oh, speaking it's... speaking of crusher tackles, Ryan Madison not a conventional crusher tackle. Um, he sort of came in as the player was hidden to the ground and tried to you know wrap him up and make contact the back of the neck. Is he going to face a dangerous contact charge? Well, I think we know we know what's likely to happen here. A grave, no, grave one. We, I mean, we just go the, on. the issue here is. For a conventional crusher charge, it's 200 points base. For dangerous contact, in a normal sense, I think it's 125 or 100 points base. So the, the difference in grading is going to be crucial here because I don't know what prize he has for loading. But, um, yeah, it means early guilty plea on the dangerous contact is just a... Uh, uh, not, sorry, it's not a week off. It's stuttering all over that one. It takes you under 100 points, whereas early guilty plea for an actual crusher charge under the current rules... Would be, take you to like 180 points, which is um, well. I'll tell you how I'll tell you how I saw it last night. That when you play that at normal speed, he's coming in to affect a tackle. That he's driving forward. The head goes into an awkward position. He was. He wasn't coming down. He wasn't he put on the board. Sorry, he wasn't put on the board. Put on. Okay, so he was as as they were going to the ground and it was obvious to him that it was going to be a nasty position for the tackle player, you saw him reposition his body so that his his shoulder and arm would not be putting pressure on the neck. He went from behind to over the top of the, the player and I thought he made a, a very deliberate atta- uh, attempt to not crush the neck. But uh, I... I always have a bad feeling when things come under scrutiny and it's Parramatta players. So <laughs> we um, have not had a happy, again, happy I'm in a, track I'm record. Mood, mate. I'm, now I'm, yeah. <laughs> now I'm almost stressing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the Eels have closed the books on the regular season and they're about to open up the books on the finals. And given the two sets of books in play, perhaps more and more fitting that they're playing the Melbourne Storm than any other team in the finals. And on that bombshell... Here to walk us through all of Parramatta's finals matchups and everything to do with that whole process is Clint. How you doing, Jim? Body, thank you for that introduction. I'm very well, and yourself? Yeah, doing all right, mate. Like I said, we've closed the books on 20 rounds of adjusted uh, regulation season, and yeah, I mean, 75 percent win rate. Can't complain too much. Yeah, look, and and and, and that's an achievement. You know, Eels fans should be very, very pleased with that. If you said going into the 2020 season that we would walk out winning three quarters of our games, I don't know any Eels fan that wouldn't take that. Yeah, that's fair. There'll be some. 
there's gonna there's gonna <laughs> be some that are gonna be happy, you know. <laughs> and we're gonna touch on that in a little bit because going into this final round, round twenty, there was essentially three scenarios that could have existed for our side. Um, that was finishing in third place and playing the Melbourne Storm away in week one, uh, finishing in fourth place, playing the Panthers away in week one, or finishing in fifth place, playing at home in week one in an elimination final against Cronulla. Now, as it's turned out, we're playing the Melbourne Storm, our old foe, our finals uh, arch rival, if you will. Um, and that's a big thing. That's a really big thing because history has shown for us an 0-7 record against the Storm. That goes all the way back. Against those easy beats. <laughs> <laughs> but um, that actually goes all the way back to 1998, funnily enough. It's, um, it's been a long um, time. They've, they've managed to put the kibosh on multiple finals campaigns for us, going back the better part of, well, over two decades now. Well, I, I think the first game that I recall was a grand final qualifier in 99, and we'd raced out to a 16-6 lead, and I vaguely recall Jason Smith going through a hole or had the opportunity to set up a try to, to seal it and the mm-hmm. ball going to ground. And it's almost like since that moment in time, it's just <laughs> one-way traffic. Yeah. I try to block those moments out, mate. I mean, <laughs> o- 06 was the Glenn Morrison no-try, if I recall correctly. Um, yeah, I remember that one vividly. was very, very uh, worked up about that one. Um, then we obviously, you know, there was the 09 robbery, which you know, we've, we've talked <laughs> about in, in, in great length as fans. <laughs> But yeah, for one reason or another, when they've been under the cap or over, Melbourne have always managed to clamp the brakes on us in the finals. So it sets up a really fascinating matchup. And I know that a lot of fans have been dreading it, but in, in a way, we've got a King Kong-sized gorilla on our back here, or monkey rather. And I think there is no better matchup for the Eels mentally to sort of launch a new, like that new era in the finals for them. If they can, you know go up to the Brisbane, go up to Lang Park, Suncorp, how it is these days, and, and sort of knock the storm down. It would be huge for him psychologically. I couldn't agree more, Forty, because, look, as much as uh, the pundits and the pessimists, and, you know, we, we include Parramatta fans in that because we like to think and feel the worst, um, we're thinking it's likely we'll play Melbourne, it's likely we'll lose, and it's likely we'll have to play a red-hot South team that'll knock off Newcastle next week. And go out in straight sets. And it's almost as though that there is this uh, premeditative narrative that exists around that scenario. Mm-hmm. And that really one of the worst third-place teams to ever exist in rugby league history. But I just want to throw some stats at you, gentlemen. Since 1998, 36 of the 44 grand final spots available in completed seasons to date have been made up by top four teams. So that's 82%. So... We cannot knock the importance, or I guess dismiss the importance, of finishing in the top four this year. It has a monumental, at least historically and statistically, big bearing on our opportunity to not just make the grand final, but win it. Without a doubt. And I think the other relevant thing too is that sort of got brought up yesterday in a, I can't remember which media outlet uh, listed, it might have been NRL.com, and they are talking about the, the top eight records of the various contenders and how it sort of might spell trouble for someone like the Sydney Roosters, who have actually only beaten Parramatta, I think, among top eight contenders this year. Um, whereas uh, the Eels themselves actually have quite a uh, respectable record against fellow top eight competitors. So it's not like, I mean, Eels obviously have had issues in the back end of the season. They have not been 100%. But 
But the barring the South Sydney aberration, I think sort of when the challenge has been there, they've risen to the the occasion. Even considering that second game against Penrith, where you know thirty three percent of possession went their way, and they still managed to restrict Penrith to just a try before either either uh, half time full time break, and that was really the difference. On top of that, as well, you know, we're, we're, and 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 it's an interesting point because there's a couple of things to unpack with what you just said there, but um, it, it it really goes to show how much perception is reality when it comes to rugby mm, league. That, that has been evident, hasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's it, it, it's almost as though people want to ignore what's happening statistically. And don't get me wrong, it's, rugby league doesn't live exclusively in statistics. And then you know. The three of us are, 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 are not suggesting as such, but you, you need to lean on it largely because there, there, there is the trends exist for a reason. And on top of that, as well, you know, and, and touching on that Penrith game, um, and we saw some of that last night. Uh, the six again that have been going going against us. I was, personally, I don't have a problem with six again rule being ruled against us. I just have a problem about it being ruled both ways. That's exactly what Sixers and I were saying prior to starting up the pod this week. Is that how frustrating is that whole interpretation? And we're gonna we have a segment on the podcast this week that we've we've spoken about on this. But yeah, um, I'm I'm not afraid for you to double down on that if you want because six again is one of those interpretations that sounds fantastic in theory, but it is just not being policed correctly uh, in practice. And I mean, I understand, and we've spoken about this in in great length that officiating is very difficult in the NRL. It's one of the fastest paced sports in relation to what the official has to sort of police across multiple different facets. But gosh, it's frustrating when you see one team like the Tigers who didn't have ruck ascendancy when they were getting all these calls. And, you know, they're just, mm. just steamrolling the, the six again calls and getting back into the game on the, on the, like, the back of it. Well, yeah, I could, just jump, I could just jump in there. I was I wrote on this before the season rebooted about the rules, about the six again rule. Then partway through the season, when Parramatta was sitting on about a 50% record when it came to six again, uh, maybe 50% is the wrong way, but we were, um, what's the right word there for you? You you came up with that term, you gave us a term where we were, um, uh, what was it, zero, um, Basically, we weren't for, we weren't against in terms of the stats. We were, we were literally sitting. Oh, like a net, like a net, net zero sort of neutral like uh, uh, balance between the cores. That was at one third, yeah. one third through the season, if I recall correctly. That's where we were sitting. We sort of had like balanced out between the the cores against and the cores for when it came to set restarts. That's right. That's and right. At, so, but that's funny because at that point, Penrith actually had the most negative against them, and I think since then. They haven't actually released the stats, but I do re- recall commentary referencing the fact that Penrith have just been dominating the six-again calls ever since that sort of um, mark in the season. Yes, so at that at that point when I wrote on it a second time, anting six again, again, it wasn't impacting Parramatta. So I'm not being salty about the rule because we just had a match where the count was six to one against the Eels. I just hate the rule because yeah, you watch me, it as a it neutral. Is the, it's it is the it is the scrum penalty of 2020 because the referees mm. the referees can call six again at any time. There is no scrutiny over the six again because there's so many things that they can call it for now. Now, now they want to introduce it for not being back in defence. So it's gonna if they bring that in, it's gonna get even worse. And on. I'm not. I love the game of rugby league. I am hating that as a major rule change 
because to me, it's it just allows a random calls where, you, as you've said before, you can you can say one team is getting justifiable six agains, but is the other team also getting justifiable six again calls? And the the answers are pineapple because the referee can bloody well do whatever they want to do. <laughs> And I'm not suggesting yep. any sort of bias there, but it, it's almost like a like there's a, a flow of the game that they are in that they are determining via these six against. And and I know that we've talked about it earlier, Forty. But what really really grates on me is that you'll see all these six again calls that might come in a game where one team is backpedalling in defence. And the play of the balls, to me, are even quicker when they're getting a six-again call going against them. So the referee's making the call to increase the momentum of the team yeah. that's in possession. Mm-hmm. And yet, a compounding the, effect. Yes. yes. And then, then you'll have, if the, if the defending team dares to assert some defensive authority in those, in those moments to stop that momentum, they're getting pinned. And then, then you also have the converse of that which is a team that is all over, uh, that's being given almost seems like an unnatural defensive authority in certain parts of the game is being allowed to lay all over and even wrestle another team. And the times where you expect that a six again call is going to come, it doesn't come. Mm -hmm. So it's it's like it's earned too easily when it is awarded. And at the times where the referee should be stamping down and issuing a six again, it's not given. It's, Unfortunately, uh, it, I dare say the namesake of this podcast might have something to do with some of those interpretations. Um, the old tip yeah. sheets when it comes to sort of premeditating your decisions because you're doing your research on the, both teams in a contest and it sort of creates a, a self-fulfilling prophecy at times, I believe. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree. And, and, and this, gentlemen, this, this point becomes even more pertinent because going into week one in the finals, we're coming up against the masters of this, the yeah. masters of the rock. Yes, and good segue. Good on referees. <laughs> good segue there, Clint, because we're as 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 this uh, spectre of the six again has just been raised. We've gone right off topic with what you were going to be talking about. So let's let's get straight into that one. Well, actually, it, 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 it's right on topic because you know now that the the, the final um, spots are settled and and the four games for week one are determined. Uh, this is what comes into the spotlight. And I, I alluded to before the fact that, you know, pundits, uh, you know, media pundits and, and some of those more pessimistic fans are, are anticipating the worst. But, and, you know, and we have to be prepared that this is, this is what we're going to face. You know, we're going to, we're going to be going up against a team that has influence with the ruck and influence with the referee. And not only do we have to match them there, but we, 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 we have to match them across all facets of the game. But that should excite us because this is a free shot against the storm, and you don't really get that. You know, we go back just over twelve months ago when we had to play them in an elimination game down in Melbourne. Uh, The weather was 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 wet from memory, Um, and sixties we were we were watching the game together, and I think it's probably we sit next to each other at, at the game, and I'm generally a lot more reserved fan than. Than most, but I think in that one night you probably heard the the culmination of uh, frustrations and um, and expectation over the course of the season come out of come out of my mouth in that one evening. 
as but, a as a normally erudite person, I <laughs> I did I <laughs> I did hear more than the odd expletive come out of it. <laughs> but that's because that, that, that's because what you one I think all all, all Eagles fans have a uh, a little bit for lack of a better word a little bit of contempt towards the Storm, and and some of that to do with with that zero and seven finals record. But moreover, it's just because of that that point that we were touching on before. You know, yes, the six again rule didn't exist then, but the the influence was there with referees and the way in which Melbourne would command and roll through the ruck, and that, um, if you will, lack of two way refereeing was evident in that game. And I think there's a, there's there's almost an expectation that that will happen going into this first game of the finals for round tw- uh, for for 2020. So the other element. That we need to be very mindful of um, going in going into this game. Yes, it's a free shot at Melbourne, but we need to we need to play a really smart media game this week. And I think the presser that Brad gave last night was 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 very good. Um, didn't 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 get too involved or bogged down in that. But you know, sent out that message I guess to to, to the playing group and the public. We're ready. We're going to take these guys on, but not not to engage any further in that because we don't want to. Um, what's the phrase that I'm looking for? We don't want to. We don't want to awaken the the, the giants with Melbourne. Yeah, exactly. They they do not need bulletin board material because they've got enough chips on their back as it is. So. Absolutely, but and I and, and and I segue a little bit here. What we do need is our fans challenging some of this way refereeing as we are now and the influence that Melbourne has um, not just um, not just with the with, with the referee but in the ruck because as we've seen it last night um, the game against Penrith like the six the, the six again rules last night six to one uh, I think in the Penrith game they were nine to three and those three were late in the game as well um couple of weeks preceding that as well. I don't know the direct stats off the top of my head. But we have to be very balanced and very mindful in our in, in, in our approach and our support of this as fans going into this game because every little um, mental victory and uh, and as we said before, rugby league is as is, is, is much about perception as it is about statistics is going to help aid our side going into this, again, quote-unquote, three shot against the storm. And just looking at this final setup to Clint, when it comes to aiding our cause, it's not a bad thing playing the Storm up in Brisbane because if this had been a normal season and we were playing the Storm down in Melbourne, you weren't going to get too many Beals supporters down there. Even though we travelled great the last time we played them, well, when we played them down there in 2017, there was a good supporter contingent that went down there when we played them in that mm. in that top four encounter that year. There is a very good Parramatta supporter base in Queensland, a very good Parramatta supporter base. You've even heard it and, and experienced it yeah. when Parramatta plays the Broncos. You can hear and, the, and the Titans chance. for that matter as well. Yeah, Seabus yeah. and uh, Suncorp are both being lit up by the parachance for sure. So I'm sure that you are going to get just as many Parramatta supporters rolling up for this finals encounter up there. It's it's going to be at Suncorp, isn't it? 
Yes. Suncorp, Sunday, Saturday prime time. Yes. So you are going to get a great contingent, I feel, of Parramatta supporters that are there, but maybe we can't travel as mm. we might have in, in previous seasons, but there's a great Parramatta base up there, and I'm sure they're all going to be there in great numbers. They are probably getting... They're probably hanging out for this because a lot of them try to get Absolutely. to a Parramatta game or two during any normal season, and they haven't had that opportunity this year. They'll be there in great numbers. I'm really looking forward to, to seeing and hearing them in great voice there and maybe turning this almost into a Parramatta home game. Yeah, absolutely, Sixties. And and, and, and and you spoke to the point that I was just about to make. Sometimes you, I marvel at you, mate, because you're an absolute mind reader at times. Um, that, 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 that's where we get to have that level of influence, you know. And, and it's almost a call to arms here to all those um, Eel supporters based in, in South East Queensland. Get out to the game. Support our boys. Be vocal. You know, this is a free shot at the storm. We shouldn't be looking at this through pessimistic eyes as, oh, this is the team that we have an 0-7 record against in the finals. This should be, let's give it to them. Let's have a real crack at this because 80 minutes of everything we got can get us a week off and then we're a game off a grand final. Well said, mate. Exactly. So I think um, we'll wrap it up there, mate. But thanks for stopping by. That was um, a fantastic little um, segment looking at the, the future. And yeah, I'm sure yeah. I'm sure we're going to get you in for at least one more podcast, 100 percent, because like we I know made note of, the top four gives you two bites at the cherry. So hopefully yeah, next absolutely. week we'll be able to get into the the gristle and the nitty gritty of a, a fantastic upset victory of the Melbourne Storm. Here's hoping, Jen. Thanks so much for having me. Catch you, Quinn. See you, mate. All right. So thanks to Quint there, but um, let's jump on to our preview of the Storm game, mate, which will be 7:30 on Saturday catch it on Foxtel, KO, and all those sort of platforms. Yeah, it's the old adversary, mate. I mean, we talk, we spoke about it with Quint. I'm actually kind of happy that we got them week one. I feel like it's the monkey that we want to get off the back. It's the hoodoo that we want to break. It's the, you know, mentally and psychologically, it's the, the opponent that we have to beat if we're going to go deep into the finals. I thought it was interesting what VA had to say at the presser. And I may not get his exact words correct, but they were asked about how he was asked about how he gets them up for the game against the Storm. And I think he said something along the lines of, "If the players aren't pumped or up and then, for the and then I think he, he, he quickly he quickly adjusted it to saying that he also has a role to get them up. But yes, the, the gist was right. If the players can't get up for this, yeah, if they." They are now in the position that they wanted to be in. They are in a situation where they could make it as few as two games to get them into a grand final. This one game gets them into that, into the qualifying match for the grand final. It's a team which is not infallible. They're obviously an impressive unit over and have been the benchmark for so many years, the Melbourne Storm. But they're not infallible. Their their forward pack, though strong, is the sort of forward pack that I think the Eels forwards can get over the top of. It's a matter of going back to or continuing to play the sort of Parramatta football that is successful. And I think that style of Parramatta football can be successful against the Melbourne Storm. Obviously, further improvement is is needed. We're not going to say 
that based on last night's form, that the Parramatta Reels will beat the Melbourne Storm. However, you also don't know how the Melbourne Storm would respond to whatever football Parramatta's going to play. Mm. There's two teams yeah. that have to worry about their form out there, not just one. So it's, it's a contest, it's a, it's a finals match, it's a whole new ball game compared to what's gone on before. So I mentioned in talking to Clint that there's a great Parramatta supporter base up in Queensland and they have the opportunity that they can turn that into as close to a home final as Parramatta's likely to get outside of New South Wales. 100%. Now, you uh, alluded to it earlier in the podcast, but Ray Stone, Murata Niakore, expect to be fit. And uh, I assume that they're going to be inclusions into the top 17. So <clears throat> Murata comes in and will take a spot on the bench from, I assume, trying to figure out the reshuffle. I mean, if you look at the 17 this week, obviously George Jennings is an easy bump out and Daniel Alvaro is, is an easy bump out. So you can put those two into there. The big one, Dylan Brown. What what are, what are his odds if you had to put a, a ballpark figure on it? The old um, the old backyard doctor. What do you got on me for? Uh, what do you got for me, mate? Sixty percent chance of playing. Now I had I had had the opportunity to speak to Dylan in the last few days, and he's tracking fairly nicely. It, the final call will be up to the physio in consultation with him. I think that if he plays, it will, and this might be the easy way of saying it, but I know this to be the case. If he plays, it will only be because he is ready. I don't think they'll take a risk on Dylan. I don't think the physio would take a risk on not Dylan. With, not with two guys at the Dylan, team, I think, yeah. Yeah. I don't think Dylan would take a risk on Dylan, to be honest. Obviously, the Eels would be pretty keen on him playing. But as you said, there's more football to be played after this first week. So, and of course, the the good news with that is whoever takes the field for Parramatta, if they jag a win this week, Dylan doesn't have to be ready for the next week. For another two weeks. He's He's got another two weeks. So it's... In one sense, there's some favourable conditions for his return because they don't have if if they make that decision that they're not going to play him, they know that there's a chance that they've got an extra an extra week in their window for his return. Absolutely. I I actually think the tough call is going to be made around Ray Stone because with him and Will if Smith you're looking in the shootout for that, yeah, that yeah, spot, absolutely. yeah. So you're looking at you're looking at a bench where Murata 100% comes back, where you've got Kane Evans that 100% comes back. You would have to make the case that Andrew Davy has won the spot. So and then then on top of that, you've got Oregon Kafusi and Will Smith and Ray Stone battling it out for that final bench spot. There's there's actually three of them that are competing there. So, does Oregon miss out on a spot? Would Oof. you drop Andrew Davey? No, I don't think, I don't you, can dro- I don't think you drop Andrew Davey or Oregon, so, jeez. So it's then, does, does both Will Smith and uh, Ray Stone I think you can only have both. you can only have both of them in the team 
if Dylan Brown's not playing, right? I'm just trying to think yeah. how, how you do this. Bench is Kane, Murata, Kane, Murata, Oregon, and then Stone, and then you'd have Will Smith at 5'8", if Dylan Brown is yeah, not what if you, you haven't named Andrew Davey. Oh, God, because Sean Lane, yeah. Sean Lane was on the bench, so, wow, this is tough. Yeah, maybe maybe Stoney doesn't get back in then. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh that's tough. So Sean Lane, Kane Evans, uh Martin Neacore, Oregon Kafusi on the bench with Andrew Davy and Ryan Madison starting in the back row, Nathan Brown at lock, obviously Regin Jr. the starting bookend positions. Oof, yeah. that's um and then I suppose in that case if if Dylan Brown is good to go, Will Smith just misses out too. Yeah. And then if if we if he gets injured. And then you're talking about then you're talking about you're playing Will Smith ahead of Jay, ahead of Jay Field. Uh, yes, yes, in that case, absolutely. But if um if Dylan's good to go, then yeah, you just you ride you ride or die by him. And then if he gets hurt during the course of the game, you just have to make a shift to Ryan Madison into five eight probably, and then bring Lane from the bench to edge. So yeah, there you go. And so some selection headaches coming into this week. So. I've, if, if everyone's fitting well, interesting team was Tuesday. Eh? Interesting team was Tuesday. It will, it, it will be. There'll be there'll be plenty for you to talk about to because unpack it for may sure. will, it, and it may even end up being one of those weeks. Maybe not quite like this week, where the seventeen named don't necessarily convert to being the seventeen that play. Yes. So yeah, interesting interesting times ahead. Yes, sir. Well, on that note, anything else you want to say before we wrap it up, mate? Oh, yes, mate. A, a, a shout-out to the old Leichhardt faithful from last <laughs> night because I was up I, I was up in the stands sitting with uh, some very good friends of mine that happened to be West Tigers supporters. And like behind an oxy, oxy me, I had... Mate. Come on. <laughs> behind me, I had old mate who had to be a Leichhardt over faithful because he had one of those voices first of all he was angry with the world he was angry about the referee he was angry about Parramatta players and he had one of those voices which just cut through the air and then cut right through to your bone like chalk on a blackboard when you get that squeak it was (laughs) I, I was I didn't know whether to laugh or to be infuriated by him halfway through the the match because it just he never let up and anyway I thought to myself well you might be at a different venue but the old Leichhardt Oval lives on with some of these West Tigers supporters or Tigers supporters so shout out to old mate hey mate we got you. I didn't. I didn't hear you sounded too happy at the end, even with um, <laughs> even with the. Matter of fact, I don't even know if he stayed for the the little presentation to oh, uh, Benji and Chris Lawrence. But but let's give out uh, finally a bit of a, a shout out and a mention to a couple of West Tigers warriors. A lot. Can I just say that there was a large number of the Parramatta supporter contingent. That stayed for the presentation. You love, you love to see that, Lawrence. You really and do. Benji Marshall and I've got a, was, I've got a massive soft spot for Chris Lawrence as well. Obviously, Benji being oh. the one that's you know covered all the adulation and 
all the um, reverence for his part in the uh, 2005 Premiership and, and being one of the most uh, sort of coveted uh, players for a young a young kid to do the big Benji Marshall sidestep. But Chris Lawrence, it's easy to forget how good he was going to be before he popped that uh, hip out of a socket and then got his face yeah. rearranged a couple of years ago too. So yeah. he's, he's so, been an absolute warrior for them. And I thought a lot of respect shown to them from the Parramatta supporters that were the last there last night as well as the Parramatta team who stayed there for for the presentation to to cheer them both off the field uh, a lot of uh, in spite of some of the saltiness that's been there on social media from West Tigers supporters I know that there's a lot of respect for players like those two fellas from not just the Tigers fans but from the Parramatta Reels fans and it was shown last night so Shout out to those two blokes on their careers. They've been a big part of the West Tigers club and uh, good luck to them in what, what they choose to do from here on in. Uh, just on a personal note, I hope Benji retires after that. He's become one of my favourite players in his latter years rather than in his early years. So Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, we sort of really, uh, sort of not toned down, but uh, matured and mellowed a bit. Yeah, You can yeah, see the... I, I don't want to see him play. I don't want to see him play a year for a club that hasn't that he's not. Yeah, the the Saint the Saint like, George years were weird as as it stood. So yeah, I'd yeah, rather I, him retire yeah, a Tiger. Yeah, yeah, and I know there's there's West Tiger supporters that would love him to still continue going around next year. If he's not in the coach's plans, then it's it's a tough ask for him to go around where he might be playing Reggie's. And he doesn't deserve to go out like that. He didn't deserve to go out being injured last night, but far better that he go out being an NRL player than a reserve grade player at, at West Tigers or in being someone that's going to another club for maybe a year to finish their career. It's, that's yeah. So let let's re, let's finish there, uh, Benji. As a West Tigers player, they're the they're the fans that love you. Good luck to you, mate, and um, uh, good luck to Chris Lawrence as well. So that's 100%. that's probably, I think, a good where I'd, I'd happy to. Yeah, it's um, a good place to finish this episode. Of to finish our podcast. Yep. Yeah, and it's a monster episode. We're clocking in at one hour and twenty six minutes. So sorry about that one for any of the um, listeners here for the brevity. But um, we've got at least one more this year when it comes to match reviews and previews. Well, sorry, two more. Uh, at least two, two, more, two more. Yeah. Because of the, I'm going to say we've I'm going to say we've got three more, mate. <laughs> well, ideally, it's free, you know, with the week off um, in between one of them. But yeah, yep. I'm very, very keen to get into the finals action. I'm hope, hoping to see the Eels sort of tear into it and, and really get at the Melbourne Storm on Saturday night. So we'll catch you then. And in the meantime, make sure to drop by the Cumberland Fro and um, have a say on everything. Thanks for stopping by, guys. We'll catch you next week. <laughs>